Futile. By Reese's Pieces. Chapter 1. Time passes oddly when one is dead. Or perhaps it's just when one is a non-corporeal spirit. Regulus really isn't sure which is the deciding factor. When Regulus first woke up back in Grimald Place after the cave, he assumed Creature managed to apparate him out. Or, not woke up, Regulus supposes. One can't wake up when one cannot fall asleep. Regained consciousness. Became undead. Regardless. When Regulus first regained sentience after his unfortunately heroic death, he assumed he was still alive. Then he tried to change out of the horrid, off-the-rack robes he'd worn to defeat Voldemort, no sense in wearing couture when one knows one is about to enter a sticky situation and his translucent hand passed directly through the wardrobe handle. Regulus tried three more times before accepting defeat. He knew after the first time he was a ghost, of course. He wasn't an idiot. He just hoped he'd be able to summon the necessary fortitude to open a bloody closet door. He spent the first year or two, it's hard to track when there's no sleep, no meals, no cycle of life to measure time, trying to make any impact on his environment whatsoever. He thought he may have made a candle's flame flicker when he tried to pinch it out once, but then he realized a nearby window was open and admitted to himself it was entirely possible the flicker was due to a breeze. Regulus found it unfortunate that, despite his inability to be perceived by those around him, he was able to use his senses without interruption. Arguably too well, he would have far preferred to live without knowing his brother was arrested for murdering Peter Pettigrew and blowing up a street full of muggles before being sent to rot in Azkaban. Regulus thought there were some logical inconsistencies in that story. For one thing, it was laughable that Sirius would have returned to Voldemort's side of the war without ingratiating himself with the family, and Sirius had not approached any member of the House of Black at all. Regulus would know, he was in Grimald Place watching the entire time. Not that Regulus wanted to see him. Not that he expected Sirius to come storming their mother's door, demanding to know what happened to his younger brother and fight for a proper burial. Regulus knew better than to expect anything so foolhardy from Sirius, his reckless devotion was limited to Potter alone. Perhaps Lupin, on a good day, when they weren't vying for dominance by having an intense staring contest across the Gryffindor breakfast table. For another, Sirius had abandoned the entire family for his friends. Sirius was a lot of things, but above all else, he was loyal. Regulus didn't understand it at the time, ingrained in pure blood culture as he was, but Sirius was disloyal to the family because he felt the family was disloyal to him first. He made his Gryffindor friends, saw their Gryffindor lives, and realized there were environments where a parent's obligation was to their children rather than their ancestors. As far as Sirius was concerned, Walburga and Orion weren't fulfilling their duty as parents by trying to force him into a pure-blood marriage in pure-blood society with pure-blood social connections when all he wanted was to listen to rock music and build motorbikes. Regulus had scoffed at this idealism at the time, but he recognized the poison of Voldemort's doctrine months before he drank it from a basin in a cave, and death brought him additional clarity. Regulus Black hadn't lived a happy life. At no point had Regulus Black expected to live a happy life. 
He expected to grow up and fulfill his familial duties, to lift the heavy burden of the House of Black and add additional weight through his own accomplishments. He then expected to foist that responsibility on his unborn children, hoping they were willing to carry it as he had. After his death, Regulus realized he wasted his life and unfortunately, it was too late to change it. Now he is just floating consciousness of disappointment and vexation, tied to a locket holding a sliver of someone else's soul that he doesn't have the power to destroy, even if he knew how to do so. Regulus had colossally fucked up, and he was determined to spend the rest of his existence making it right. Regulus spent years trying to manifest in a way evident to others. He worked systematically, as he had with everything else in his life. He started simple, with reflections of his face in glass and mirrors, occasionally he was able to appear in the portraits and temporarily possess them. Then he discovered through a groan of exasperation during his attempts to visibly manifest that he could haunt audibly, though no one was ever able to understand his words. He had no use for taste or smell, so he chose not to waste his time with them. He spent years trying to touch, pick up, control the world around him, with almost no instances of success. It was years of mental and emotional toil with very little payoff. The attempts left him exhausted with no way to recuperate but to lie on his bed and stare at the ceiling. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat, he couldn't so much as talk to anyone. All he could do was wait until his head stopped spinning and he had the energy to try again. He was pretty sure he meant that literally, too, he thought he was some sort of electromagnetic field, and by trying to move objects or make himself visible, he was attempting to alter that field. Honestly, if he were a muggle ghost, this might be easier, he might have more knowledge. He'd read a couple books on muggle physics, both meta and regular, from the back corner of the Hogwarts library, but he didn't understand enough to have an impact. It was bloody frustrating, actually. At the very least, Regulus would have liked to speak to Creature. Not only did they need to find a way to destroy the Horcrux, which would have been easier if Regulus was able to communicate, but Regulus also found he missed Creature's care and concern. Creature had basically raised Regulus and his brother, he fed them, clothed them, and bathed them from birth until they went to Hogwarts. Though his relationship with Sirius soured after his sorting, following the status of Sirius's relationship with the rest of the family, Creature was forever kind and understanding to Regulus. Regulus could only track how much time was passing because Creature changed the calendar every day, time slipped away from him in odd fits and starts. He spent what he thought was a couple hours trying to pick up a pen in his father's windowless study, then drifted through the kitchen to discover a month had passed. After an eternity of trying to pull his favorite book off the shelf in his room, he looked at the clock to discover he'd been there only an hour. Regulus was starting to suspect he wasn't a very good ghost. Or, maybe the reason ghosts always seemed to come from some distant past was due to the difficulty and amount of dedication it required to be seen. That's what Regulus told himself. He wasn't a bad ghost, an unsuccessful ghost. He was a young ghost who hadn't come into his own yet. Sometime in year six after his demise, Regulus's mother followed in his footsteps. Regulus found himself stuck in a strange place between mourning and relief. His mother had never been an overly affectionate parent, though so far as Regulus knew, his experience wasn't far off the baseline of his peers. 
Most of the boys in his dorm had suspiciously regular scars along the backs of their knees and pain tolerances that would kill a Hufflepuff. Pure Blood Society firmly believed that to spare the wand was to spoil the child. Regulus thought he should feel sad about the death of his mother. That's what one was supposed to feel, correct? But she'd always been more of an enforcer, an upholder of tradition than an actual parent, so mostly what he felt was the loss of his house. It's not as if he and Walburga had been close these last six years. She didn't even know his spirit was milling about the place, watching her slowly descend into madness. It was heartbreaking, actually, to see how alone she was in her final years. Narcissa was off raising her own heir, Bella and Sirius were both in prison, and Andromeda had left ages before and never looked back. Walburga Black was the last bastion of the noble and most ancient house, and she had fallen. Regulus found himself less motivated when the only person left to haunt was Creature. He decided touching things may be more successful than actually picking them up, so he started attempting to pinch out any candle he passed and move the minute hands on clocks. These parlor tricks had mixed results, but eventually, with extreme effort, he could accomplish both. Poor Creature's magic was not what it once was, Regulus couldn't help but notice, whether it was due to grief or the lack of a living person in the house, Creature descended into a bit of madness himself. Regulus hoped his haunting didn't contribute to the elf's decline. The house fell into a state of disrepair as Creature mourned his mistress, and Regulus didn't have the ability to give him instructions. He managed to control his mother's portrait for up to fifty entire seconds at a time, but Regulus wasn't going to waste that time telling Creature to polish the silver. Creature needed to go to the library and pull books so Regulus could research. It took him until year nine to find the books he needed, but eventually Regulus figured out how to destroy the Horcrux. He left the book open and attempted yet again to hold a quill so he could underline the passage Creature needed, but the activity of lifting and dipping and writing was too much. He never would have admitted it prior to his death but Regulus really could have used one of those muggle pens Lily Evans always had when she was head girl. Salazar damn his pure blood family and their strict adherence to tradition, there was not one single pen to be found in the whole Sir's Forsaken house. Regulus drifted, shifting through the detritus of Grimald Place, hoping to find a fiend fire lighter or assassination kit with some basilisk venom, but to no avail. He gave up all hope of destroying the Dark Lord's Horcrux, and this was only the first. Regulus suspected Voldemort made multiple. Then, finally, there's a change. Regulus has no idea what month or even what year it is. He just knows there's a living human person, no, two living human persons in Grimald Place. He floats down the stairs, hoping it's Narcissa or perhaps Andromeda who has finally returned to the Black family seat. But no, the intruders are far more unexpected. Serious? Regulus asks incredulously as he takes in the gaunt man before him. And Lupin? What in the name of Grimhild are you two doing here? Sirius, of course, cannot hear Regulus in the slightest. He looks around the dank entry and sniffs. Godric, did something die in here, do you think? I know my mother's dead, thank Merlin but do you think her house elf threw himself on the pyre? Regulus wrinkles his nose in distaste. Sirius always enjoyed being crude and outlandish, of course, 
but Regulus finds his apparent joy in Creature's possible death unbecoming. Creature chooses that moment to shuffle into the entry, mumbling and grumbling as has become his habit in recent years. Shame of my mistress has returned, and he brought a half-breed with him. Oh, how my mistress would cry if she saw him here, befouling her doorstep. Sirius practically growls as soon as he hears Creature's voice. There's plenty foul around here, no doubt about that, but Mooney and I are the least of it. Regulus rolls his eyes, does Sirius truly have nothing better to do with his time than argue with an ancient house elf who has spent decades steeped in his family's prejudices? And what is he doing here? How had he gotten out of prison? Sirius and Creature eye each other from across the entryway, both with clear expressions of disgust, before Lupin clears his throat. Maybe we should each just go our separate ways and ignore each other, hmm? You and I are more than capable of taking care of ourselves, Padfoot. Sirius looks Creature over one more time, then acquiesces to Lupin's request. Creature grabs a dirty old rag off an end table and starts dusting as he mumbles something about half-blood filth giving orders, and Sirius looks to the ceiling and sighs. T. Moons. I'd love some, Lupin agrees, following behind Sirius as he starts toward the kitchen with some muggle shopping bags. Regulus snaps to attention, he'd been so stunned by Sirius's sudden appearance, he forgot to bother trying to haunt them. He pinches out two candles before he follows, just to ensure he still knows how to do so. When Regulus gets to the kitchen, Lupin already has the kettle boiling and is about to set the tea steeping. Sirius is sitting with his hands buried in his hair, his face haggard and angry. I know you're not happy about being here, Pads, and I'm really sorry this is the only place we could go. But at least you'll have a roof over your head again, and we'll have somewhere safe to bring Harry. Regulus is intrigued. Harry was Potter's baby, is Sirius attempting to get custody now he is out of prison? But Sirius apparently hadn't had a home, why not? Last Regulus heard, he lived with Lupin. Was he hiding? Had they had a falling out? This is not a safe place, Mooney. Did you not see the elf heads? The troll leg in the entry? Those things are as harmless as it gets here. There were fifteen things that wanted to kill us the moment we walked through the door. Based on his track record, Harry might be safer if we leave him out there to face Voldemort. Now that gets Regulus's attention. What? he shouts, and both men turn to look out the low window above the kitchen sink. The windows in this place have gone to shit since I left. Did you notice that draft in the entry earlier? The magical protections clearly seal all the grime in. You'd think they'd be able to keep wind out. Regulus groans in annoyance and takes a swipe at the teapot. It slides six inches down the counter, and both men's heads jerk toward the movement. Lupin stands and inspects the window, muttering an incantation that minimally changes the air pressure in the room. He shrugs. Household spells. You know I'm terrible with them. We lived together for nine years, moons, and two of them we didn't have help from the Hogwarts elves. I remember. Lupin throws him a glance and snaps his fingers, sending a weak stinging hex across Sirius's knuckles. Sirius laughs, rubbing at the spot as he watches Lupin bring over their tea with clear affection in his eyes. You've lost a step, Moonshine. 
that would have been read for at least a day when we were sixteen. Regulus's eyes snapped to Lupin's face. They were casting wordless, wandless magic at sixteen. Salazar's goatee, that's impressive, loath as Regulus is to admit it. Regulus was proficient in wordless magic by the end of his fourth year, of course, but he'd barely begun reading on the theory and history of wandless magic by the end of his seventh. He never got far with it, maybe he'd be a more competent ghost if he started earlier. There was probably some crossover to haunting. I went easy on you. Next time you correctly insult my magical prowess, expect full power, Lupin grins at Sirius across the table. Regulus watches as they sip their teen banter, trading insults that sound a lot like compliments when couched in wide smiles and barking laughs. Is this what it's like to be Sirius's chosen family? There's none of the sullen silence and cautious eye contact Regulus remembers from their Hogwarts years. This is more like the Sirius he remembers from when they were children and Sirius made Regulus's life an adventure. Sirius was the one who made them a pirate ship from old packing crates in the attic, it was Regulus's magic that accidentally flooded the fourth floor in his excitement, though Sirius did his best to take the blame. Sirius was the one who convinced Regulus they could find dragon bones if they dug in the back garden, Creature nearly cried over the damage to the rose bushes. Sirius was the one who snuck them out to go play in the Muggle Park in their neighborhood, allowing Regulus to experience the magic of swing sets and roundabouts, Regulus spun in circles until he was sick. Most of the happiness Regulus remembers from Grimald Place begins and ends with Sirius, and he didn't realize until right this moment how much he missed his older brother. Could he have had this the whole time? If Regulus chose correctly, chose Sirius over his parents, chose Dumbledore over Voldemort, if he had gone to Sirius to ask for help instead of chasing the Horcrux on his own. Could he have saved himself? Could he be sitting across from Sirius right now, nearly choking on cold cuts while they laugh about some old inside joke? Regulus experiences a wave of regret like he hasn't felt since he realized the Dark Lord's ideals were a sham. Regulus always firmly believed Sirius abandoned him, but looking at him now, laughing with a man who left him in Azkaban for twelve years, Regulus wonders if perhaps he helped shove him away. This Sirius seems very willing to forgive. The pair start to settle down, their initial giddiness evolving gradually into grim discussion. Regulus learns a horrifying array of information. He knew Harry Potter somehow defeated Voldemort on the night of All Hallows' Eve, and he knew the result couldn't be permanent. Regulus is holding the evidence of that in the drawing room upstairs. Apparently the Dark Lord has made three more attempts on the young Potter's life since then, starting when he was just a child of eleven, and managed to obtain a body at the end of last school term. Regulus was appalled by Voldemort's decision to target a baby fifteen years ago, of course, but he is, possibly, even more incensed by his continued hunting of the boy now. He's a child, and he has no family left to protect him. Or, no blood family, at least. Sirius is evidently the child's godfather and takes his role very seriously, Regulus instinctively rolls his eyes, Sirius would have made a joke if he were able to hear Regulus say it. He's talking excitedly about having Harry Potter here, at Grimald Place, as they're resurrecting the Order of the Phoenix and Sirius offered their parents' house as headquarters. Oh. Oh no. What a nightmare.
It's going to be so loud. And so hectic. Regulus was never one for crowds, he attended galas and parties as the position of heir required, of course, but he hated every second of it, except, maybe, the parts where he got to watch Kingsley Shacklebolt dance with a variety of witches and wizards. Regulus happily spent plenty of time doing that. He is looking forward to having some people around again, a bit of company even if they don't know he's there will be nice, and it will give more opportunities for someone to hopefully see him and understand what they all need to do to defeat Voldemort. But Regulus would have preferred only Sirius, or Sirius and Lupin, and maybe Sirius's charge if it couldn't be avoided. A whole headquarters is going to be overwhelming for a solitary spirit who can't escape the activity. Regulus also learns through his eavesdropping that Sirius escaped Azkaban, the first person ever to do so, and has been on the run and hiding in his animagus form. Which is another unbelievable feat of magic he achieved as a teenager that Regulus never would have considered attempting. He could have done it, he's sure, had he decided to try. It just never occurred to him that he should, that's all. Sirius always was the more creative of the two of them, he was the one with the ideas that got them in trouble. Regulus is really learning quite a lot about his brother this evening, much of it annoyingly impressive. He's certainly re-evaluating his opinions of Gryffindors as thick-skulled dunderheads. Lupin finishes the pot of tea while Regulus spirals, and Sirius gathers their dishes and brings them to the sink to wash by hand. He wasn't able to get his own wand back when he ran, obviously, and apparently the one he stole from some poor, unsuspecting wizard in Kent is not overly cooperative. Regulus hovers behind him as he fills the sink with suds and focuses very, very hard on making his face visible in the reflection from the glass. Sirius looks up and sees him. He makes eye contact with Regulus. Oh, this is a marvelous development. Maybe there's a chance he can point Sirius to a portrait, which Regulus can possess, and... Merlin, I look like Reg when I'm this thin, Sirius comments, leaning in closer so his face takes up more of the window and blocks the space where Regulus positioned himself. Have I always looked like this? I don't think I've looked in the mirror for fourteen years, but I never remember us looking so similar. Regulus howls in frustration. Sirius Black, not see his own face in a mirror for fourteen years. I can't believe that. Sirius snaps his fingers in Lupin's direction and sends a retaliatory stinging hex across his upper arm. Don't pretend you don't like my face, Moonbeam. I know you better than that. Lupin smiled at him softly across the room. Absence makes the heart grow fonder and whatnot. Sirius launches himself across the kitchen and Lupin tears off down the hall, cackling the entire way to the front door, where they're stopped in their tracks by Regulus's mother's portrait screeching. Holy mother of fuck. Regulus hears Lupin yell and lets out an undignified snort. Regulus follows them, and they're still staring agape at the large painting on the wall when he arrives. It was never an overly friendly or helpful portrait, of course, but in the last few years it has advanced to all-out madness. Lupin waves his wand and stuns it. Merlin's saggy testicles, that's horrifying, Sirius mutters. I guess we start here tomorrow, that monstrosity has to go. Sirius sighs and looks around the entrance hall, dining room, and sitting room on the main floor. What do you think, Moons? 
you're the dark magic expert. Do we trust anything down here not to murder us in our sleep, or would you like to cross the dark obstacle course to my old room? At least we know nothing I put in there is deadly. Imagine my 15-year-old self hearing Sirius Black invite me to his room, Lupin says absently. Sirius barks a laugh as Lupin starts moving through the area, casting spells and reaching out to touch things before quickly pulling his hand back. Once he completes his lap, he stands in front of Sirius and gestures toward the stairs. At least four of those things are genuinely malevolent and will try to do us real harm. Three more I couldn't get a solid read on but looked menacing. I'll lead the way, since I have a functional wand. My wand's plenty functional, you arsehole, Sirius grumbles as he follows Lupin upstairs. Regulus spends the next few days following Sirius and Lupin aimlessly about the house as they strive to make it inhabitable. They start with the entrance, clearing any cursed objects in the vicinity and attempting to remove the portrait. Unfortunately, their mother installed it with a permanent sticking charm and even Regulus doesn't know which phrase will release it, so they're stuck with a screaming portrait until Sirius decides he's ready to tear out the wall, Regulus gives it a month. On their second morning there, Regulus hears a clatter from the bath while Sirius is in the shower. He darts through the closed door, he'll figure out a way to get Lupin in there if the idiot has fallen and cracked his skull open. Then Regulus hears Lupin's voice also in the shower. With Sirius. At the same time. Regulus averts his eyes, directing them from the drawn curtain to the fogged-over mirror. He does some rapid mental maths, remembering the way they used to stare at each other across the table and their living arrangements after Hogwarts. And, oh. Regulus isn't sure how he missed that. And he's glad his brother found happiness and has rekindled whatever definition he and Lupin use for their relationship, Salazar, what if they were married before Sirius went to prison? What if Regulus's brother got married 15 years ago and Regulus had no idea? The very thought is depressing, but Regulus really would have preferred a different method of learning this information than walking in on them shagging. A wedding announcement in the Daily Prophet, for instance, would have been far more appropriate. Regulus grimaces. He reaches instinctively for the mirror, moving his finger to right GRO, though his efforts leave nothing behind. He tries again, his YU remaining invisible. Regulus hums in frustration, takes a deep breath, or would, if he could breathe, and concentrates. One more time, two little letters. That's all he wants. E.W. appears in the steamed-over glass, letters already dripping from the condensation in the humid room. He leaves the short message behind, hopeful it will get his point across and signal to the pair they aren't the only consciousness in the house. That day, Sirius and his boyfriend, husband, lover, his lupin, start on the bedrooms and kitchen, apparently it's not enough for his home to be turned into headquarters for an underground resistance operation. No, it also is going to house Sirius, Lupin, Potter, the entire Weasley family, and some girl named Hermione. There are going to be so many Gryffindors. Regulus is already exhausted. On day three, Regulus takes a shortcut through his mother's bedroom and stops short when he finds a fucking hippogriff sleeping in there. Why on Circe's green earth does Sirius have a bloody hippogriff? And of course Sirius would house it in mother's room. 
he has always had a bit of a petty streak. There are only two people living here, and it's already a little more exciting than Regulus is prepared for. Finally, on day five of Operation Deccan Destroy, as Sirius likes to call it, they enter the library for the first time. The books Regulus had Creature pull from the shelves are still scattered about and open to the pages with information on Horcruxes and their destruction, there's only seven of them, since information on that variety of dark magic is so sparse. They should be able to discern the common theme. All they have to do is look at the page and... Lupin is flipping the pages as he hums interestedly. Regulus moves across the room so he's inches from Lupin's face, and he shouts in his effort to be heard. That is the opposite of helpful. Read them. Read them. Notice they're all on the same topic, you unobservant fools. I'm trying to help you. Lupin glances up, sticks his arm directly through Regulus's torso, rude, and shivers. Drafty in here, he mumbles on his way by the chair Sirius is cautiously casting Scourgeify charms on. Bubbles froth out of the seat in grayish-brown heaps, and Sirius and Regulus both wrinkle their nose. We really do need to take a look at these windows. It's not even windy outside, and it's June. There's no reason it should be cold in here. Sirius screws up his face as he vanishes the bubbles and casts a drying charm on the chair. He finally looks around at the titles scattered across desks and sofas, and Regulus is hopeful he'll understand. Sirius has always been clever, and he's familiar with the works in the Black Family Library, he'll recognize the pattern. He flips to the cover of this first book and scoffs. What in the name of Godric's third nipple was she planning to do with these? Come look at this one, Moons. Does it look like it's bound in human skin to you? Lupin casts a wary glance at it from across the room and nearly gags. He has a weak stomach, apparently. Judging by the mole pattern on the back cover, I'm going to say yes. Sirius makes a move to toss it toward the fireplace, but Lupin is across the room in a breath to stop him. What are you doing? Come on, Pads, you know we might need those later. What could we possibly need out of here? It's some of the darkest magic in existence. Lupin takes the book with one hand and flicks Sirius in the ear with the other. We're fighting one of the darkest wizards the world has ever seen, Padfoot. We might need to know how he did some of that in order to undo it. Thank you, Lupin. Regulus cries, throwing his hands wide in a gesture of thanks. Finally, somebody with a little bit of sense. I shouldn't be surprised my idiot brother couldn't figure it out, but you were always the smart one. Lupin closes the book and reshelves it along with the two he already looked at, and Regulus nearly cries. They were so close. The answers were right there. All they had to do was read the first book Lupin looked at to learn what a horcrux was, the one on the arm of the chaise to recognize the creeping, infectiously evil feel of the locket's magic, and the one Sirius was reading on how to control fiendfire. Regulus still holds out hope they'll read the one on the sofa, that contains the most important information anyway how to actually destroy a horcrux. Regulus knows at least one of them is capable of research if need be, there's no way they caused as much chaos at Hogwarts as they did without looking things up and cobbling together spells. Once they find the methods and figure out they have one on their hands, 
Regulus is confident they'll be able to figure out how to control the fire. Sirius was always good at setting things alight, it should come naturally to him. Sirius waves his wand and the remaining books reshelve themselves without so much as a glance into their contents, and Regulus actually feels his existence fade. They are all so fucked. Three days later, Lupin leaves for a couple hours and comes back hurting a trail of children and a red-haired couple. The Weasleys have arrived. It's just as loud as Regulus expected. Their presence apparently corresponds to the house being considered usable by the order because suddenly, there are meetings several nights a week and various witches and wizards coming and going at all hours. Regulus tries to glean some information from order meetings, looking for signs Dumbledore knows about the Horcrux and Voldemort's plan for immortality, but if he knows, he isn't sharing. They're using most of their time protecting a prophecy in the Department of Mysteries. Regulus is skeptical of what use this could have, everyone with any sense knows divination is a dubious branch of magic, and actual prophecies have a tendency to be unavoidable. His theoretical divination reading implied all actions taken to avoid the outcome of a prophecy will most likely ensure it, though, of course, it refused to say that outright, the author wouldn't want to make claims they couldn't uphold. Regulus firmly believes the only way to best a prophecy is not to think about it at all. One boon among Sirius's guests is the brunette muggle-born girl, Hermione. She's a voracious reader, spending a large amount of her time in the library, though she fastidiously avoids the darker texts Regulus needs her to find. She also has a collection of pens stashed about at all times, which Regulus tries desperately to write with. It takes a week, but he finally manages to steal one, only to find he can't apply enough pressure to the nib to make the ink flow. He actually throws it across the room in frustration upon this late-night discovery, it rolls into the corner between two bookshelves and is immediately forgotten. In early August, another newcomer arrives. Harry Potter makes an entrance to say the least, waking up a screaming portrait and then doing some shouting of his own. Sirius is obviously thrilled to see him, though. His whole face lights up the moment he sees him, and Lupin has to drag him away from Harry's side for the order meeting that night. That must feel like a familiar experience for the man, Sirius had to be physically removed from James's side as well, as Regulus recalls. There's not much new information at that evening's meeting, though the fireworks at the end are an interesting development. Harry demands information, entitlement, so like his father, and an argument between Sirius and Molly Weasley ensues. It's practically like watching dogs mark a tree, honestly, they both seem to believe they're the sole adult who wants to ensure the boy's safety. Lupin steps in as the voice of reason, and Regulus finds himself agreeing with the man. Why would you want to hide knowledge from someone the Dark Lord has specifically targeted? Voldemort is coming for him whether he knows why or not, he might as well have as much information as he can get. Molly is wildly upset when her children insist on inclusion, and Regulus finds himself a bit envious. His parents didn't push him to join Voldemort, they were just outspokenly in favor of his ideals. When Regulus showed them his mark, he expected them to be proud. Imagine his surprise when his mother sighed and said. Being curse fodder is beneath a black, Regulus. I do wish you had more sense. All of this could have been avoided if she'd cared enough to attempt to protect him from himself, 
the way Molly Weasley was now. Regulus might have listened, unlike these foolish Gryffindors. The next day, the group moves on to cleaning the drawing room. They start with the curtains while Regulus hovers anxiously next to the cabinet in the corner. Regulus moves closer to Sirius and Harry as the boy leans in to examine the names on the family tapestry, and he starts when Sirius speaks of what he found out about Regulus's death after the fact. The information is wrong, of course, Regulus got himself killed entirely of his own accord and Voldemort claimed he ordered it to bolster his reputation for ruthlessness. Regulus is shocked Sirius even bothered to try to find out what happened to him. He always assumed Sirius considered his death to be a neutral event at worst and another dead Death Eater to tally at best, given he never showed up to Grimald asking questions. He bites his lip, studying his brother's face and finding more regret than he thought Sirius capable of. After lunch they finally start to move, unwittingly, toward the Horcrux. Sirius and Harry work side by side, his brother never letting the boy out of his sight. Harry clearly has been thinking about the tapestry since lunch. I never knew you had a brother, he says softly, looking at Sirius out of the corner of his eye. Sirius stiffens, then forces himself to relax. It's harder to talk about Reg than it is your dad, Harry. Their paths were opposite in my life. With your dad, we went from being strangers to best friends in a matter of minutes, and as good as brothers in a couple months. When I moved in with your grandparents, that became even more true, and we were completely devoted to each other until his death. Harry's hands still as Sirius talks about his father, eyes glued to Sirius's face while he drinks in as much information as Sirius is willing to give him. Sirius takes a deep breath and exhales loudly. With Reg, it was the opposite. We were all the other had when we were children. Our parents were not warm and fuzzy people, has, can you imagine growing up in this house? We had to be close, or we would have been completely alone. But then I was sorted into Gryffindor, and my parents turned him against me. He was in Slytherin, like a proper black, and we never quite found our way back together. Would you want to? Harry asks with disgust. He was a Death Eater. Sirius bobs his head from side to side, thinking through his response. I barely believed it when I heard he took the mark, honestly. He was always so soft when we were kids. Regulus reaches over and bats Sirius across the back of the head, and Sirius scratches at the spot. Regulus is not soft, and he never has been. He's smart, and he's calculating. Just because he doesn't go chasing after danger or relish torture doesn't mean he's soft. Harry scoffs. Don't you have to, like, kill people to even get it? Doesn't sound soft to me. You wouldn't think so, but I think that's probably what got him killed, Sirius muses, his mouth turned down at the corners. He looks genuinely sad. The teenage Sirius he remembers didn't have much room for moral gray, and he would have happily burned a Death Eater brother off his tapestry if he had one. He was always quiet, the responsible one, and generally pretty kind. He used to set snakes and frogs that got into the basement free in the pond rather than let creature kill them. I think he probably just avoided conflict right into joining a terrorist organization. That's stupid, Harry says bluntly. Regulus should be offended, but the kid is right. 
He was stupid. Sirius barks a loud laugh. Regulus has missed the sound, he welcomed it echoing through Grimald Place again more than he would have ever thought possible. Yeah, it is. And it was the wrong choice, even if he did lose his nerve at the end. But it would have been harder to see that for Reg. You're very like your father, Harry. Or, rather, both of your parents, in that your moral point me points straight north. Look around this house. What do you see? Harry looks at the cabinet full of dark objects they're currently clearing, the books on pure bloodlines and dark magic Sirius has been using to squash stray doxies and cursed objects, and the black family tree on the wall. Er, lots of stuff about how great pure bloods are. Lots of stuff Death Eaters would find interesting. That's exactly my point, Has. This stuff didn't materialize out of nowhere when Reg got his mark. Most of this stuff has been in this house for generations. This is how we grew up. I mean, I can feel the evil losing out of this cabinet. Can't you? Imagine trying to know right from wrong when this is how you spend the first eleven years of your life. Reg never had a prongs or a moonie to show him how to be good. He was all alone. So you miss him. That's complicated, serious sighs, and regulus blanches. Sirius is just being honest, but he would have liked a simple, yes, to suffice. I miss who he was and how we were when we were kids. I would have died to protect him then, and I would have died to stop him from taking the mark if it would have worked. But I don't really know who he was at the end. We hadn't spoken in years at that point. They worked in silence for a few minutes, Sirius pulling things out of the cabinet and inspecting for curses before handing them off to Harry to decide whether to keep or throw. Eventually, Harry spoke again. I guess it'd be kind of like an extreme version of the Weasleys and Percy. They're all mad at him siding with the minister, but no one wants to talk about it because it hurts because they love him anyway. Right? Half of Sirius's mouth pulled up into a sad smile. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Regulus's thoughts were whirling, thinking about how much more forgiving this version of Sirius was than the one he remembered from his teen years. He thought Sirius would hate him forever. And Sirius says he would have died to prevent Regulus taking the mark. Regulus was dismayed by the very idea. He and Sirius could barely even make eye contact across the Great Hall when Regulus was marked at 16. Would Sirius really have gone to those lengths to stop it? Regulus's attention is drawn back to the cleaning when Sirius pulls the locket off the shelf. He examines it closely, instinctively drawing back from the evil the locket exudes. That's odd, he murmurs when the low-level curse-breaking charms he casts have no effect whatsoever. I've never even seen this before. It doesn't seem dangerous, nothing happens when you touch it, but it feels wrong. Don't touch it, just get close enough to sense the magic. Does this feel off to you? He holds it closer to Harry, who shrugs. Eventually the locket is passed around the entire room, everyone trying and failing to open it, before the young Weasley girl, Ginny, eventually throws it in the bin. Regulus cannot believe they're just going to casually throw away one of the darkest objects in existence. He's seen through their purge of Grimald Place that Sirius has no respect for historical artifacts, and Regulus understands the desire to make the house safe for the kids. But really, 
It's Slytherin's bloody locket. Did none of them even notice the snake-shaped S formed in emeralds on the front? What do they think that signifies? Merlin, Gryffindors are thick. Regulus reaches into the open bin and rescues the locket, the action taking less effort than anything else he's attempted. He puts it on the desk in the corner, hopefully Sirius will show it to Lupin or Moody, who both seem to have a better eye for dark objects. How that's possible, Regulus isn't sure, since Sirius grew up here and should have a knack for sensing dark magic, but alas, it seems to be the case. Late that evening, after everyone else has gone to bed, Lupin and Sirius sit up in the kitchen having a drink. Sirius hasn't been sleeping well, Regulus has noticed, and he's taken to roaming the house late into the night. Sometimes, like tonight, Lupin will wake up and follow him. Sirius is passing his half-full fire whiskey glass back and forth on the table from left hand to right while Lupin watches him patiently, alternating between sips of whiskey and jasmine tea. Eventually, Lupin gets what he seems to want and Sirius is ready to talk. Harry and I looked at the tapestry this morning, he says roughly, eyes flicking up to meet Lupin's for a moment before moving back to the sliding glass. Oh. Lupin asks politely, taking a second consecutive sip of his liquor. Then we talked about Reg. Oh, Lupin breathes, reaching across the table to take Sirius's hand and still his movements. Oh, pads. And he asked why I would have wanted to find my way back to Regulus, to repair our relationship, given he was a Death Eater. And he's right, isn't he? Sirius's voice cracks as he finally holds Lupin's gaze. I shouldn't miss him, should I? He was, objectively, not a great person. He let me take the fall for everything for all our childhoods, take all the hits from our parents, then grew up into someone who joined a blood supremacist terrorist group. I should hate him, Remus. I shouldn't miss him. But being back in this house. All I really want is to see my brother again. Regulus instinctively presses his hands to his mouth in an attempt to muffle a sob. He hasn't cried since he was a child, shortly after he got to Hogwarts and discovered his brother was no more interested in him away from their parents than he was at home. He can't cry now either, of course, and even if he could, they wouldn't hear him. The closest he could get is dripping ectoplasm, but he's never actually managed that particular haunting skill. He positions himself in the middle of the table, between Sirius and Lupin, and tries to take Sirius's hands only to have them slip right through. I'm right here, Sirius. I can see you. Please, just listen to me. Try to hear me. I changed, I tried to make things right. I died trying to make Voldemort mortal. You don't have to feel guilty. I tried to fix it. I did. But I need you to help me. Please, help me serious. Please. Regulus's chest feels tight and his head hurts from trying to control his emotions. He never begged for a single thing in all his life, but he wasn't alive anymore and nobody could see him and he had no pride to speak of anyway. He used to sneak me bandages and pain potions and healing bombs, back before I knew any healing spells. It wasn't a lot, but it was more than anyone else ever did for me, and it was all he could do. Sirius pulls his hands away from the cold Regulus's skin creates and sniffs once, loudly. 
The only other option was taking it himself, and I would never, ever have let him do that. All I wanted was to protect him, and I couldn't do it. I failed him, and then I abandoned him, and I left him with the burden of my parents' expectations of the black air. He deserved more from me, Mooney. I should have done more. All Regulus wants is to be able to comfort his brother, to let him know he did more than enough. More than he should have had to. Regulus understands, now, after years of hindsight, that it was their parents' responsibility to be better, not Sirius's. Not Regulus's. And Regulus had tried to be better, to make it up to Sirius in the end. It took him too long and he died in the process, but he never stopped trying to copy his older brother. Not really. If only he'd realized sooner he should have been living his life up to Sirius's standards, instead of his parents. Regulus is relieved when Lupin stands and walks around the table, pulling Sirius into his arms and stroking his back. Sirius buries his face in Lupin's neck as he allows himself to be held. You did more than you should have had to, love. And it's okay to have complicated feelings about Regulus. You had a complicated relationship in a complicated family. He squeezes Sirius more tightly and starts to rock gently, scratching his fingers across Sirius's scalp. For what it's worth, Pads, I'm sorry you're stuck here. If I had anywhere else to offer, I would have. I never wanted you to have to come back here again. Sirius nuzzles into his neck further while Regulus looks on helplessly. Anything. He'd do anything to protect Sirius from this, if he could. Regulus feels something slide down his cheek, then hears a sizzle as a drop of ectoplasm lands on the table and evaporates with a little puff of smoke. Lupin looks over, kissing the top of Sirius's head while his eyebrows draw together in confusion. He glances between the tabletop and the ceiling above their heads, as if looking for a leak. What are the twins working on now, he mumbles, and Sirius sits up. It's either an acid or explosive. Sirius laughs softly as he wipes under his eyes and straightens his shirt. Hope for explosives. If they give us enough warning before they blow the place up, maybe I'll be able to get out of here sometime before I die. And good riddance to that Godric-forsaken portrait. That's probably the only way to get rid of it. Lupin gives him a stern look, clearly unimpressed by Sirius's joking. Sirius tilts his chin up with one finger and kisses Lupin chastely on the lips. Thank you for listening, Moon Pie. I didn't want to have to give Harry the full scope of what my parents were like, but that would have eaten me alive. I love you. I love you, too. You can always, always come to me. You know that, right? Sirius nods. Lupin stands and offers Sirius his hand, pulling him up behind him as they head for the stairs. Regulus watches them go, for once respecting his brother's privacy enough not to follow. Chapter 2 The next two weeks pass in much the same manner as they have since the Weasleys showed up in his entrance hall. Regulus follows in the wake of whoever is closest, attempting to appear in glasses of water and reflections in the silverware. He tries to possess his mother's portrait, just for the sake of some bloody quiet, only for it to reject him more strongly than it ever has before. Regulus isn't sure how magical portraits work, but they evidently retain the personality of their subjects, 
his mother is a stubborn bitch even in oil on canvas. He attends order meetings, where they continue to talk about an idiotic prophecy when the key to Voldemort's undoing is currently hanging from a sconce in the upstairs loo. Sirius keeps trying to throw it out, getting increasingly frustrated when it shows up in stranger and stranger places. He's convinced Creature is doing it to irk him, despite the fact he demanded Creature tell him the truth about how it was moving and Creature was able to tell him it wasn't his doing. On the 1st of September, the children go back to school and Arthur and Molly Weasley return to their home, and now it's just Regulus, Sirius, and Lupin. Regulus is more consistently able to touch things and move objects after all his practice with the locket, which is now safely hidden in Creature's preferred spot off the kitchen. He regularly goes into the library and drops the books containing his research to the floor. It pains him to do it, even books on the darkest magic deserve kinder. Treatment than to be used to bludgeon information through his brother's thick skull. But no matter how many times he flings them to the floor, his living housemates will pick them up without glancing inside and put them back on the shelf. Eventually, Sirius gets sick of the noise, Regulus is shocked Sirius, of all people, finds any kind of noise upsetting, and fixes them all to the shelf with a permanent sticking charm. He writes the release phrase on a scrap of parchment and permanently sticks that to the end of the shelf, and Regulus loses one of the few consistent forms of communication he can attempt. Regulus is frustrated. Early in September, Sirius has a flu conversation with Harry that apparently ends poorly. He pulls his head out of the fireplace, growling as soon as he's free, and heads immediately for the liquor cabinet in the drawing room. Regulus sits by his side and watches as he pours himself two fingers of whiskey, drinks them quickly, and immediately pours two more. By the time Lupin is back from guard duty, he's had more than several drinks and is sitting in the kitchen, legs stretched out long as he stares listlessly into the flames. Hey, love, Lupin greets as he walks behind him and leans over the back of his chair to kiss his cheek, stopping short when he sees the morose look on Sirius's face. Pads. Sirius just grunts, barely acknowledging his partner's presence. Did something happen? Lupin prods, circling around to the front of the chair and crouching in front of it. What's wrong? I'm the worst godfather in the world, Sirius mutters, avoiding eye contact. Lupin's face twists into an expression of concern. We both know that's not true. Harry adores you. What happened? I flew him in the Gryffindor common room. Lupin groans, not helpful, Regulus huffs, and asked if I could visit in Hogsmeade, which of course I can't, but I just, wanted to pretend for a minute, you know. Lupin nods and gently removes the half-full glass from Sirius's fingers, taking his hands in his own and brushing his lips against Sirius's knuckles as he speaks. I know, Padfoot. I wish you could get out of here, too. Lupin stands and pulls Sirius forward so his face is buried in Lupin's stomach, with his hand stroking the top of Sirius's head. I don't understand how that makes you the worst godfather in the world, though. Harry understands why you aren't able to come visit. Sirius whimpers, the sound muffled by Lupin's oversized jumper. I told him he's nothing like James. He looks up, finally meeting Lupin's gaze, and Regulus can see his eyes swimming with tears. When did Sirius become so vulnerable? 
Regulus could count the number of times he'd seen Sirius cry on one hand, even before he left for Hogwarts. Regulus feels a flare in his chest, a sudden desire to protect this unshielded version of his brother. The Sirius he remembers had so few opportunities to be soft. You should have seen his face, Mooney. He looked devastated. I hurt him. Badly. Oh, love, Lupin sighs, cupping Sirius's face and brushing a thumb over his cheekbone. Sometimes your mouth still runs away with you, doesn't it? Again, not helpful. Sirius tries to tilt his chin down and look at the floor, but Lupin holds him in place. The only thing you can do is apologize, Sirius. That boy loves you more than anyone else on this earth. He'll forgive you. You just have to ask. I don't deserve it. I never should have said it, Sirius grinds his teeth. It's a dumb comparison to make anyway. He isn't all that much like James, but he is exactly like Harry, and that's all I want from him. I love him just how he is. Lupin half smiles and bends to kiss Sirius softly. Maybe tell him that, then. I'm sure he'd love to hear it from you. Regulus leaves them to it, it pains him to watch Sirius eat himself alive like this, and he needs a break. After Sirius removes his ability to use the library, Regulus moves on to possessing portraits. The problem with the portraits is they're all of black family ancestors and are incredibly stubborn by nature. Regulus can get into portraits with little difficulty, but he cannot force them to say the words he needs. He can force them to move their mouths, but they're unwilling to actually use their painted vocal cords and speak to Sirius. Instead, a couple times a day, he does a double take at whichever picture Regulus is possessing, reaches out to touch it, and shakes his head. Reg everywhere. Bloody in breeding, he mumbles to himself, as Regulus fists his hands in aggravation. Horcrux. Regulus cries as soon as they make eye contact. Horcrux, Horcrux, Horcrux. Locket. Horcrux. Evidently Sirius doesn't know how to read lips. They carry on in this way, Sirius becoming more withdrawn and Regulus more agitated, until Sirius's birthday. Lupin stays the night before, which always cheers Sirius up, and he gets a birthday owl from Harry containing a card and some of the Weasley twins' prototype fireworks, maybe Lupin was right, they were going to blow up the house. Regulus certainly hadn't cried. Firework development was the most realistic scenario. There's an order meeting, for which Molly Weasley makes a cake, and Tonks, Kingsley, and Emmeline all stick around to have a slice, too. Sirius smiles genuinely for the first time in a couple weeks. But then everyone else leaves for home or guard duty, Lupin starts a multi-day mission, the full moon is in four days, Regulus has started tracking the cycles and doesn't expect him back until at least the tenth, and Sirius will be more or less alone until then. Regulus actually sees Sirius's heart break when Lupin says goodbye at the door. Lupin kisses Sirius's knuckles, buying a few seconds until Tonks and Kingsley close the door behind them. I'm going to miss you terribly, he says, looking up at Sirius and just managing to catch his eye. Sirius looks away, Regulus has noticed he's having a harder time maintaining eye contact now than he did at the beginning of the summer. He's behaving a bit like a caged animal, and Regulus hates it. 
It's painful to watch, even more so because Regulus can't do anything to keep Sirius company despite being in the same room at all times. Regulus knows he shouldn't be watching this, that it's a private moment not meant for his eyes. But it's the closest thing to happiness Sirius is going to experience for at least a week, and Regulus will be damned if he misses it. I'll miss you, too. Happy birthday, Sirius. I'm sorry I have to go. I'll do my best to make it up to you when I get back. Make that curry recipe of Effie's you've always loved. Sirius nods, still not looking at his partner. Lupin sighs and cradles Sirius's face in his palms, kissing him gently. Everything he does for Sirius is gentle right now, Regulus has noticed. I love you. Sirius chews on the inside of his cheek while Lupin patiently waits for him to respond. Finally he looks up, meeting Lupin's gaze and holding it for the first time since supper. I love you, too. Be safe. Lupin sighs again, they both know he can't promise that. They exchange chaste kisses on the cheek, and Lupin is gone. They're miserable. All of them. And Regulus knows war isn't fun, he remembers that very well from his own stint as a child soldier, thank you very much. But Dumbledore is searching for the wrong thing when the right thing is well within his grasp, and Regulus is resentful he's torturing the only person Regulus loves while chasing the wrong lead. November inches by, and Regulus only serves to bear witness to his brother's misery. Sirius has brief moments of happiness, like when Harry sends him an owl or Tonk stops by with whiskey or a gossip. But eventually Harry's letters turn to discussion of his new defense teacher's incompetence, and Tonk's gossip mutates into speculation on which ministry members are loyal to Voldemort, and Sirius's spirits fall even further. Lupin finally returns, gone closer to two weeks than one, and Sirius's outlook improves. He tells Lupin about Harry's plans for some sort of defense tutoring group, which they both support fully, and they plan their Christmas gift for the boy, Lupin is clearly surprised and delighted to have enthusiasm for his idea of giving Harry books. But two weeks gone means only two back, and Lupin is back on a mission the week before the next full moon. Sirius goes back to struggling. He stops eating meals unless someone makes one before an order meeting. He lives on dry cereal and fire whiskey. Regulus is pretty sure he hasn't eaten a single vegetable all week, he is concerned Sirius is going to get scurvy like some 17th century pirate. He somehow manages to grow a three-day beard in a day and a half, and he's been wearing the same soft flannel housecoat for days. Has Sirius always been like this when left to his own devices? Is this a result of twelve years in Azkaban, his brain serving as Dementor food? Or has his charm and irreverence always been a protective front? Regulus used to think Sirius bounced thoughtlessly from one activity to the next, the only things getting under his skin the tattoos he put there willingly. Yes, he chose to leave the family when he was sixteen, and his last couple years living at Grimald Place were, uncomfortable. But he seemed to leave Regulus behind without so much as glancing over his shoulder, and once he left, he had the soft support of a loving family Regulus never got to experience. Regulus suddenly suspects Sirius thought through his actions a lot more than anyone, least of all Regulus, knew, and his reputation for impulsivity was born more from a loyalty that put him in the line of fire than from actual recklessness. 
Regulus is concerned. He follows a dazed Sirius around the house, worrying as his brother drinks more and sleeps less, bouncing from portrait to portrait while Sirius starts actively avoiding his gaze. Regulus doesn't know what to do. He has no way of communicating, no way of letting his brother know he's not alone and has people who love him, even if one of those people is not, technically, alive, and thus not technically a person any longer. Then there's a stroke of luck. Or, at least, it's a stroke of luck by Regulus's standards, given that his main concerns at this point are first, leading literally anyone to the Horcrux and second, his brother's well-being. Regulus knows he should be apprehensive about Arthur Weasley and his stay at St. Mungo's, and the Order doesn't have enough members to be losing them to injury or snake venom, etc., etc. But Sirius is so happy to have Harry and his friends back in his home. He's singing Christmas carols, for Salazar's sake. The last time Regulus heard that, Regulus was seven and Sirius was nine and Sirius was teaching him, I saw mummy cursing Santa Claus, and, dick the halls with balls and buttholes. Sirius even gets everyone to help him decorate, and Regulus is astonished, and a bit delighted, if he's honest, to learn some of the bells there, accidental, magic charmed that you still make weak farting noises instead of ringing. Since there are once again a large number of people in the house, Regulus renews his efforts to lead them to the Horcrux, but unfortunately gets nowhere. He's briefly excited when Hermione brings Creature a Christmas gift, but once again they miss what's right in front of them. He manages to restring the garland so it spells Horcrux in the entry hall. Molly Weasley frowns at it and spells it to wrap itself around the banister instead, and Regulus considers strangling her with it next time. He frames the book about Horcrux identification with glittering fairies, and Lupin does nothing but move them back to the tree. Regulus's faith in the man is dashed, and he's certain his brother could find a boyfriend who is smarter and more observant. He moves the locket from Creature's room off the kitchen and hangs it in a place of honor on the tree, and Sirius simply frowns and tries to throw it away again. Regulus rescues it and buries it in the folds of Creature's new quilt for safekeeping. He then spends the rest of the day following Sirius around and giving him wet Williams every time he opens his mouth, Sirius is soon scratching at his ear in a manner more fitting to his dog form and performs increasingly abrasive cleansing charms on his ears, only for Regulus to get him again and renew the process. Regulus, admittedly, has more fun annoying his brother than any of his other pursuits in over a decade. As the new year edges closer, though, Sirius becomes more somber and he slides back into sullenness. He watches Harry cautiously, discussing that something seems off with Lupin after everyone else has gone to bed. Harry watches him in return, chewing his lip as he catalogues the sadness in Sirius's face when he's not forcing himself to entertain. Things come to a particularly nasty head when Severus Snape visits to inform Harry he's to take a clemency lessons, why the boy hasn't been having those since he started school is beyond Regulus, the fact Dumbledore didn't see fit to teach him after his encounter with Voldemort during his first year is sheer negligence, in Regulus's opinion, and Snape nearly goads Sirius into a duel. Regulus can see the way the swipe at his bravery lands and worries Sirius will do something stupid to prove himself to Snape, despite the fact he despises the man. Regulus had always been neutral on Snape, never knowing for sure what his aims were and whether he could be an ally in the Slytherin common room. 
Regulus kept him at a safe distance and was quite surprised to see him when the order took over Grimald Place. Now, though, with Regulus's newly resurrected loyalty to his brother, he feels it necessary to follow him to the door and pinch him repeatedly as he leaves. He would have preferred a well-placed hex, but alas, he has to resort to childish muggle bullying since he can no longer practice actual magic. Regulus dreads the moment the children go back to school and Grimald Place empties again. But even a black can't block the passage of time, and leave they must. Lupin accompanies them to the station, then immediately leaves for the packs. Sirius and Regulus are mostly alone from that point forward. Members of the Order pop in and out for a few minutes at a time to pass along Moody's invisibility cloak or report on their mission. Meetings are held weekly at most, and with so few members and the around-the-clock ministry guarding, people are unable to stay long afterward. Most developments are updates on recruitment that could have been owls. The only information of interest is when Snape comes to update on Death Eater activity, and that does nothing positive for Sirius's mental health. Lupin is being sent out on weeks-long missions doing Merlin knows what, returning tired and battered and grimy for a few days between moons, if he comes back at all. For the most part, Sirius is painfully alone. He is not handling it well. It starts slowly, with a gradual alteration of his sleep schedule. He wanders the house late into the night, finally falling asleep in whatever room he happens to be in when exhaustion sets in. In a few weeks he's practically nocturnal, seeing no more than a couple hours of daylight before restlessly pacing again all night. Then he's drinking more, and then he starts muttering to himself similarly to Creature. Regulus keeps trying to get Sirius to perceive him, to no avail. He still can't manifest corporally to anyone beside himself, he can't control the speech of ancestral portraits, he can't even make sounds that are understandable to human ears. One day in early February, Sirius sleeps on the drawing room sofa for the entire day, completely missing the commotion of their mother's portrait when Tonk stops by with the cloak and potentially some chatter in the late afternoon. She finds Sirius asleep in a public location and gently covers him with a blanket before tiptoeing out again. An owl from Harry waits patiently at the window to finally be let in well after dusk. Regulus spends that entire day sitting on the ottoman next to the sofa, staring at his brother and willing him to wake up, willing him to sense Regulus's presence. He doesn't. By the end of the month, Sirius has started covering most of the paintings and all of the mirrors in the house with sheets. Regulus isn't sure why, and he's aggravated Sirius cut off one of his only consistent manifestations. Regulus finds himself vacillating wildly between being livid and being heartbroken. He's angry at Dumbledore for locking his brother away in a home where his worst memories all live, trapping him in a living nightmare. He's indignant the Order isn't utilizing Sirius's considerable skills in any tangible way, there's no development of tools for spy craft, no methods of communication they're allowing him to create, no coordination of schedules and reporting for which he'd be ideal because he's literally always here. Instead, they're wasting him, and he's wasting away. Lupin doesn't come home between the February and March full moons. Watching Sirius's tangible loneliness, especially on the full, on night Sirius is sure he should be with Lupin, causes Regulus actual pain. It makes him pace restlessly, 
so agitated he somehow manages to accidentally knock the teacup Sirius was using for his fire whiskey off the coffee table. It smashes into tiny slivers of glass and slices Nick's into Sirius's ankles, Regulus can see the blood spotting his muggle trousers. Sirius does nothing. He doesn't so much as glance at the porcelain strewn across the hardwood. He stands, barefoot, and walks upstairs, trailing footprints of blood the entire way. Regulus feels his own heart shatter next to the glass shards littering the library floor. He follows Sirius's bloody trail not to the scarlet and gold bedroom of his youth, but rather to Regulus's own room across the hall. Sirius has curled himself up in Regulus's bed, arms wrapped around a pillow and squeezing like it's the only thing anchoring him to the earth. Sirius falls asleep there, on top of the blankets, and Regulus does his best to help his brother. He sits by his feet and carefully, carefully removes any shards he can find, hoping Sirius can muster the will to heal the rest of the damage in the morning. He manages to sweep the broken glass into a pile using his hands, though he's not able to vanish it the way he'd like. Hopefully either Creature or Sirius will finish the job in the morning. While he's down there, he catches sight of the pen he threw in a fit of anger over the summer. He bends down, grabbing it more easily than he had all those months ago. He finds a piece of parchment in the desk and attempts to write, managing for the first time in sixteen years to put ink on the scroll. Regulus is elated. Who knew all it would take is months of despondency in the only person he's ever really loved for him to find the willpower. Serious. Voldemort made a horcrux. Maybe more than one, I don't know. But I died getting it, creature wasn't able to destroy it, and now I'm a ghost, poorly, haunting my childhood home and my estranged brother. He's immortal. You have to destroy it. It's the locket from the drawing room, that's why the magic feels so oleaginous. It is currently in safekeeping in Creature's Den. Use Fiend Fire, Casting and Control, Library Bookshelf C4, Book 9, pages 394 through 409, or Basilisk Venom, ask Harry where to get some, to destroy it. I don't know if the Dark Lord will be able to tell when you do it. You'd think someone would notice when a piece of their soul dies, but I suspect he's separated himself from his humanity long enough that he might not. Regulus hesitates. He doesn't know if he'll be able to do this again. This may be his last chance. And he's been watching Sirius exchange casual affection with Lupin and Harry for months. He hastily writes the last sentence before he can change his mind. I love you. R.A.B. Regulus places the parchment on his own nightstand and allows himself a small dance of glee. Finally, he can communicate how to stop Voldemort and elevate Sirius's position in the order simultaneously. He watches his brother sleep for a while, a couple hours at most, hoping he has finally opened up a channel to speak again. Eventually, though, Sirius begins to shiver from Regulus's proximity, and he spends a few more hours wandering the house, observing as Shacklebolt makes himself a cup of coffee in the kitchen and writes a report at the table before sneaking out again. When Regulus returns to his room, Sirius is just beginning to stir. He picks up the unfamiliar parchment and blinks blearily at it, running his hand over his face as he mutters, what the fuck. Regulus moves to stand beside him, uncertain what could be so unclear in his letter. 
He literally explains he's a ghost in the first paragraph. Surely Sirius's attention span is long enough to get that far. He leans over his brother's shoulder to see only scribbles, and Regulus sucks in an irritated breath. It was perfect when he wrote it last night, and now the only thing legible is his signature at the bottom, R.A.B. Apparently the same magic that prevents anyone from understanding him when he speaks applies to the written word as well. It's fucking bullshit. Regulus tries again the next night, and the night after, and the one after that. No matter how many times he attempts, no matter how brief his message is, they all turn into meaningless scratching in the end. Regulus even draws his message once, a doodle of the locket and a black-robed figure with X's over his eyes with arrows pointing between them, Regulus isn't a good artist. His parents considered drawing a waste of time and purposely left it off their governess lessons. In the morning, his carefully constructed drawing looks like Rorschach ink blots. The only thing Regulus can see in the splotches is the hopeless black pit of the wizarding world's future. Sirius finds these incomprehensible musings and files them all away in Regulus's old desk. He's sleeping in Regulus's room every night now, and he barely manages to pull himself together for order meetings. The meetings have picked up again. Regulus isn't sure why, as Death Eater attempts at the ministry seem to have slowed down. Maybe they're expecting some sort of coordinated attack. Regulus isn't sure. He can't pay attention in meetings because he's using all of his mental energy fretting. Sirius is getting worse, and he's not sure why. Yes, it's been a while since Lupin has been home, but reports from the meetings where the old man can be bothered to show up usually include an update on his activities. He's as safe as one can be when one is spending all their time with werewolf packs. Sirius hasn't been hearing from Harry as much after Christmas, which may be a contributing factor. Regulus sympathizes with his paranoia, his mail wasn't safe from prying eyes as a teenager, either. It could be due to the increase in order activity, while Sirius is still stuck in Grimald Place. Is he feeling guilty about the strain on the other members of the order while he isn't able to relieve them from their duties? Or maybe it's the house itself. This place did always seem to suck the life out of Sirius in a way it didn't for Regulus, and now, tethered to its rooms as he is, it almost seems like the house is the only thing giving Regulus some semblance of life. Ha! Regulus doesn't know what the problem is, and there is absolutely nothing he can do to solve it. All he can do is watch silently while his beloved brother slips deeper and deeper into a depression that's beginning to border on madness. Sirius cries now. Regularly. That's new. He picks up Regulus's unreadable notes in the morning and drips a few small tears on the parchment before stashing them in the desk drawer. He wanders downstairs and makes a cup of coffee, with fire whiskey as often as not, and sniffles when he catches sight of his own face in the window over the sink, at least, Regulus assumes it's his own face. This is one of the few remaining uncovered surfaces Regulus can reflect in, but Sirius never seems to notice him anymore. He goes to the entrance hall and pulls the curtains on their mother's portrait open, just so he can have something to yell at. She berates him as harshly as she did in life, and in a matter of minutes he's in a screaming match with a painting. Regulus stands by helplessly, unable to provide comfort or support. After Sirius manages to tear himself away from their mother and pull the portrait's curtains, 
he trudges back to Regulus's room, crawls under the covers, and transforms into a large black dog. Regulus wants to be mad about the dog fur all over his things, but at this point, he'll allow anything that will keep Sirius sane. Regulus isn't overly hopeful this method will work, but it's better than nothing. Lupin finally comes back the day after the April moon a full two months gone. He looks better than Regulus expected after all this time, he has a couple fresh scars across his hands and face, but nothing appears to be broken and he's not bleeding. He's filthy, though, and the dark circles under his eyes are significantly more pronounced than when he left. He doesn't bother to knock the way a lot of Order members do, apparently, wherever Sirius is at home, Lupin is home also. Regulus follows him as he looks through every room in the house, taking in the number of empty whiskey bottles in the trash and the newly covered surfaces. The further into the house he gets, the more concerned Lupin looks. By the time he finally finds Sirius in Regulus's fourth-floor bedroom, he's anxiously peeled his cuticles until they're bleeding. Sirius is sitting at the desk, shuffling through the notes Regulus has tried to leave over the last few weeks. His hair is fluffy and wild, like he's been running his hands through it and pulling all the curls out of shape, and he keeps brushing his fingers over Regulus's signature on the letter in his hand. He looks absolutely deranged. Lupin rushes across the room and gently pulls the letter from Sirius's hand, crouching in front of him and cupping Sirius's face. Sirius clutches his forearms until his knuckles turn white, like he thinks he might be okay if only he can wrap his fingers around Lupin's bones. He just has to squeeze tight enough. What's wrong, love? What is it? What's happening? Lupin frantically checks Sirius over, like if he can just see them, he'll be able to remove the thorns in his heart and the scratches on his brain. Reggie, always Reggie, everywhere. Regulus's heart drops, he can feel it sitting uselessly in his knees. All the time, keep seeing Reg in every part of the house, can't stop, had to hide it, Sirius mutters rapidly, not meeting Lupin's eyes as he keeps reaching for the discarded pile of papers on the desk. Regulus stops breathing. Or, he would have, if he were breathing in the first place. Is that why everything is covered? Everything reminded you of Reg? Sirius shakes his head, avoiding Lupin's gaze, tears beginning to streak his cheeks. Not reminded, everything is Reg, he's everywhere, I keep seeing his face, and he's scared, Mooney. He's screaming and I can't help him and I keep writing these sheets with his name on them, but I don't remember it and I can't do anything, I can't help, and... Sirius finally makes eye contact, lower lip trembling as he whispers. I think I'm going mad, Remus. Regulus breaks. He falls to his knees at Sirius's side and literally buries his face in his shoulder, drawing shaking breaths as he tries to hold his brother close, but his arms keep sliding through Sirius's body. Regulus is devastated, he wouldn't have the control to cast Lumos right now, much less make his arms corporeal enough to hug his brother. Regulus tries to tell himself Sirius doesn't miss it anyway, they stopped hugging when Sirius was six and he got in trouble for letting Regulus sleep in his bed after a nightmare. Instead, Regulus just holds his arms where he thinks they'd rest, were they able, and fights back tears. Lupin pulls Sirius forward, where he buries his face in the crook of his neck while Lupin strokes his hair and shushes him gently. 
Sirius wraps his arms around Lupin's waist and twists his hands in the back of his shirt, and Regulus is still trying to make his arms fit around Sirius and they're all one big tangle of limbs even if Regulus is the only one who knows it. In a matter of seconds, Sirius starts to shiver, Lupin seems to think it's from distress because he bundles Sirius up in his arms and tucks him in bed, slotting their bodies together underneath Regulus's emerald duvet. Regulus pulls away, withdrawing completely across the room. He's done enough damage here, he doesn't need to be giving Sirius and Lupin frostbite with his ghostly chill, too. He can't believe he was such a fool. Of course this is all his fault. Of course seeing shades of his dead brother everywhere he looked was upsetting to Sirius. Regulus knew he was able to see him, why else would he start avoiding all of Regulus's most reliable haunts? Regulus has never been anything but an anchor, dragging Sirius under. Why would this be any different? This is it. Regulus is done. From now on, he's an observer, nothing more. He knows his responsibility should be to wizard kind, he knows he should focus on the Horcrux, brother be damned. But he just can't do it. It's been almost a year and no one has heard him anyway. All attempts at communication have been futile. One last time, Regulus is putting his family above all else, but for once in his life, death, it's on behalf of the only black who has ever deserved it. Regulus is choosing Sirius. I'm not going back to the packs, Lupin says softly into the darkness, still absently running his fingers through Sirius's hair. Sirius half turns to look at him, confusion evident on his face. It's not working anyway, love. I'm getting nowhere, and I'm sick of being away from you and sleeping on a forest floor as often as not. It didn't work last time, either. We failed with the giants. We just don't have enough to offer, and I'm more useful here. I'm not going back. Can we afford to lose those contacts? Dumbledore's reports have all been cryptically positive. Remus snorts derisively. Yeah, well, that's pretty typical, isn't it? The man creates the mirage that we're winning through half-truths and leading questions. Trust me, Pads, as the person actually doing the work. It's not helping. Sirius nods, taking his partner at his word. They must have learned some lessons from the first war, after all. For the first time in weeks, Sirius seems to get a good night's sleep. Regulus hovers a safe distance away, allowing himself to shed a few drops of ectoplasm after the two men in his room fall asleep. It seems like startling them with the smell of ozone and sizzling drips of goo would be breaking his new vow of being a silent bystander. Over the next few days, Regulus readjusts to the non-haunting existence. It's become second nature to pop into every portrait he passes and make himself visible in every piece of glass in the house. He's amazed by how much energy he has now that he's stopped, apparently he was exhausting himself in addition to driving Sirius to madness. He misses writing, though. He found himself happier with a pen in his hand, so he quietly maintains the habit while the rest of the house is asleep and stuffs his thoughts in the bin so no one sees them. He never journaled while he was alive, it seemed dangerous in a household where information was a weapon and an organization where his true thoughts would have led to certain death not that he avoided that outcome anyway. Now Regulus mostly spends his days following in his brother's wake, or shacklebolts, when he's around. 
Regulus is dead, not straight, and learning to just enjoy the presence of people. It turns out Regulus is rather fond of some of them, he thinks he'd willingly spend time with Lupin if he were still alive. The man's intelligence and wry humor amuse Regulus. If only he would have known that twenty years ago, when Sirius tried to convince Regulus to give his friends a chance. Regulus was realizing in his death what an absolute fool he'd been in life. It was not a comfortable discovery. A couple of days into Regulus's self-imposed isolation, is it isolation if life doesn't change for anyone else, Harry calls and talks to Sirius and Lupin about his father. The boy seems upset, and Regulus sympathizes, but Sirius's mood seems to improve immediately. He's not sure if it's due to Lupin's return, seeing his godson, or the opportunity to reminisce about his best friend, but Regulus is happy Sirius seems more at peace. Both parties are upset when Harry tells them Snape stopped teaching him a clemency, though the boy seems relieved. Regulus wonders what idiot thought having Snape teach him in the first place was a good idea, the two clearly detest each other, which would make any sort of practice difficult. If Regulus were visible, he'd happily teach him. He feels a strange protective urge over the child that he doesn't like to examine too closely, and Regulus is an uncommonly good acclumens. Just one more regret to add to Regulus's steadily growing pile. Snape is missing from order meetings for weeks, as is Dumbledore. Finally, Snape shows up for a meeting sometime in May, with a surprisingly lackluster update from the Death Eaters. Regulus remembers war moving a lot faster than this. Maybe that's because he was a dumb kid getting swept up in it at its peak, rather than one of the adults orchestrating the whole affair. After the meeting, Lupin asks Snape for a word in private. Regulus follows them into the hall because, frankly, he's bored and this promises to be entertaining. He's expecting verbal sparring until the loser leaves in a huff, his money is on Lupin and his generally unflappable nature. Snape is snide, but he's not overly difficult to rile, and the first person to lose their temper always loses in these situations. It's why Sirius lost every argument he and Regulus had after age seven. Sirs's cunt, did he underestimate Lupin? The man is nearly feral. It starts reasonably enough, with Lupin asking Snape if he stopped giving Harry a clemency lessons. What does it matter to you? Snape sneers, trying to sidestep Lupin and take his leave. For one thing, Dumbledore thinks it's a priority, which is, of course, of utmost importance to all of us. Snape scoffs, and Regulus can't blame him. He's spent enough time listening to Sirius and Lupin's conversations to know they actually give very little credence to the man's instructions. They obey because their soldiers and dissidents creates weakness, not because they actually trust the man. But also, it's the best way to keep Harry safe, which keeps Sirius safe and happy, all of which keeps me happy. Harry resumes the lessons, and you will treat him kindly while he's there. Lupin steps forward, invading Snape's space and backing him toward the wall. Regulus isn't sure how a slight, mild-mannered man is capable of being so imposing, but whatever the method, it's working. Snape looks rattled. I lost him for twelve years, Severus, and I will not be doing so again. If I hear you say anything that even resembles goading Sirius into recklessness, you will never speak again. Because I will take your tongue. 
Have I made myself clear? Snape straightens his shoulders and looks down his nose at Lupin, trying to gain the upper hand, but Regulus can see his shallow breathing. The man is frightened. I don't waste my time on hopeless causes, Lupin, and the boy is just as arrogant as his father with none of his natural ta. Lupin moves quickly, his arm at Snape's throat as he knocks his wand from his hand. He mutters a tongue-tying curse and hisses. I know you hate Harry because he's living proof James Potter fucked Lily Evans, which is yet another area where he succeeded and you failed. But if that boy ever so much as implies you've spoken negatively of his father in his presence again, I'll ensure you're viscerally aware that I am, in fact, a dark creature. Snape's sallow face becomes even more pale, and he nods once, stiffly. Lupin releases both the curse and Snape's throat, which Snape immediately reaches up to massage before realizing that would resemble weakness. He bends to pick up his wand as Lupin casually keeps his trained on Snape, just in case he gets the bright idea to try and hex him. As soon as the front door closes, Sirius is in the hall and pressing Lupin to the wall in a manner both very similar and very different from the position Lupin just had Snape. Lupin seems to be enjoying himself, for one thing. That was so fucking hot, Sirius murmurs into Lupin's mouth. Lupin laughs and pulls away to ask. How did you hear all that? Did you go padfoot for eavesdropping purposes? Sirius shakes his head. Extendable ears. I should really invest in the twins' joke shop, they're going to put Zonkos out of business. Sirius pulls Lupin back in so they can resume snogging like they're in a Hogwarts broom cupboard. Regulus wrinkles his nose and slinks away, really, if they could at least keep themselves decent in public areas of the house, Regulus could avoid a lot of discomfort. Everything is as close to perfect as it can be for a ghost and a prisoner in his own home for a few weeks. Sirius doesn't hear from Harry, and Regulus is terribly bored now that he doesn't have a goal to work toward. He does feel like he knows his brother better than he has since they were children, though, and he's proud of how Sirius has recovered from the winter's depression. There are still days where Regulus worries about him, nights where he trails him as he wanders around the house. But Sirius has uncovered most of the portraits again, and he started actually going through things to determine what he wants to keep. He and Lupin regularly discuss his plans for having Harry with him for most of the summer this year. He plots ways to remove their mother's portrait. He spends an entire afternoon shuffling through a long-lost box of Uncle Alfred's things, including a smiling photo of them at a Quidditch match the summer before Sirius started Hogwarts. Sirius puts the photo up by his and Lupin's bed, and Regulus has to leave the room to cry a little. It aches to know his brother misses him. At least Regulus has gotten the chance to spend time together, even if it was one-sided. One evening, Regulus is in the kitchen with Creature thinking about how much he misses eating, or even smelling food. Life is a lot more grey in death, and Regulus understands why many spirits turn malicious. The monotony is chilling. Maybe he'll start pulling books off the shelf again, just for the entertainment value. It's been a while since he's done anything to annoy the people living in his house. It's the Potter boy's head in the fire, Creature says, and Regulus is startled out of his musings. Is Creature talking to him? Can Creature see him? Is he suddenly visible now? Can Regulus finally fulfill his purpose in the afterlife?
But no. Creature continues muttering to himself, he still doesn't know Regulus is there. Regulus turns back to his thoughts, until he hears Creature answer Harry's question. Master has gone out, Harry Potter. What? Regulus asks, dumbfounded. No, he hasn't. He and Lupin are upstairs with Buckbeak. That's why Regulus is in the kitchen, the hippogriff seems to sense him and is uneasy whenever he's in the room. Why is Creature lying to Harry? Regulus feels like his brain has been hit with an impediment jinx. He's usually so adept at solving puzzles, but right now he feels slow and stupid. Something about the combination of Harry's clear panic and Creature's borderline glee is chilling, and the dread settling in his stomach is distracting him. Regulus's hand is on the teapot, about to smash it to bits in order to draw Sirius's attention, when Harry's head abruptly disappears from the emerald flames. Once again, he's missed his opportunity. Harry's head appearing in his fire was a pivotal moment, one that is going to have reverberations far into the future. It feels just the same as the night he went into the cave a man, a boy, really, and came out a ghost. Regulus can practically feel the world shifting around him, though he's not sure why, and he can't do anything to stop it. He hurries upstairs, straight through the ceiling, not bothering with the stairs like a civilized shade such as himself normally would. But no, Sirius is right where he should be, patching up Buckbeak's claw while Lupin soothes the creature. Regulus exits as quickly as possible, the last thing he needs is an accidental mauling because he made a hippogriff nervous. For the next two hours, Regulus doesn't leave Sirius's side. He's not sure why, since his ability to have any impact whatsoever is non-existent, but he just. He needs to. He needs to be with his brother. There's no logical reason, but wild thestrals couldn't drag him away. Then, it happens. A phoenix patronus speaking with Dumbledore's voice appears and commands. All Order members report to the Ministry of Magic. Death Eaters in active pursuit of Harry Potter. All the color drains from Sirius's face, and he and Lupin look at each other. Lupin doesn't even bother trying to convince him not to go, the lazy bastard. Not that it would have helped, of course, in no world would Sirius let others risk their lives for his godson and not be at their side. Still, Regulus would have hoped Lupin would pretend to try to stop him from bringing himself to the people who wrongly imprisoned him for over a decade and now have been trying to capture him for three years. They don't even go outside to apparate. Regulus reaches out as Sirius turns, trying to cling to Sirius so at the very least, he can stay by his side. Maybe he could throw things. Serve as a distraction. Regulus can feel his bony wrist within his fingers, and Sirius looks down at the spot in alarm, then up to meet Regulus's eyes. The shock is evident, and Regulus can sense that he's too late. Sirius is already gone, and Regulus is tied here. He can't go with. Try as he might, he can't leave the confines of Grimald Place. Regulus goes cold. At times like this, he's always envied his brother, whose reaction would involve a lot of yelling and throwing things, which would tire him out enough to sleep at the very least. Not Regulus, though. Regulus's panic and anger are both ice, freezing him in place and preventing him from acting. 
He can only ruminate on where he went wrong, what he could have done differently, his brain moving faster as it spirals out in a million different scenarios of what he failed to fix and what he should have predicted and where everything is going to fall apart. Thinking, only ever thinking, never doing, the only time Regulus was ever brave enough to actually do anything it got him killed, and now here he sits, a collection of electrical impulses with no physical form, once again stuck in place and unable to help. Sirius doesn't come back. Regulus knew he wouldn't. He could feel it, the moment he left. Before, even. It was inevitable. The surviving Order members return, frantically cleaning out documents and moving Buckbeak to safer quarters. Lupin lingers in his and Sirius's room, tears streaming helplessly down his face as he tries to prioritize, pick things that are important to the war effort instead of just sentimental, but he can't stop himself from leaving with Sirius's old leather jacket. A symbol of a relationship both decades long and entirely too short, milestones marked by tragedy rather than happiness. Regulus hates him, just a little. Stealing Sirius from his family. Leaving Sirius to rot in Azkaban. Failing to protect him in the final fight of his life. Everyone knows Bella is ruthless, he shouldn't have been dueling her alone. The order rips through the house like a hurricane, tearing everything to pieces and leaving Regulus a mess. He doesn't care. Everything has lost its meaning. He didn't destroy the Horcrux. Voldemort is still alive, still immortal. And his brother is dead. Regulus drifts, time once again slipping away in large chunks before stretching out in front of him endlessly. The order comes back. Regulus barely notices. Lupin wanders the house, practically a ghost himself. Tragic, Regulus thinks distantly. Then he stops coming back altogether. Regulus assumes he's back with the packs. Maybe they'll kill him. That would be okay, Regulus thinks carelessly. It's only appropriate after what he allowed to happen to Sirius. Things go missing. Regulus doesn't mind. He has no use for things. He's dead. Something happens. The order vacates the property again, and this time it's permanent. He hears strange things, unfamiliar voices ring in his ears. The locket is missing. That's unfortunate. Maybe he's tied to the Horcrux. His unfinished business. Perhaps that's where the voices are coming from. Time floats away, and Regulus waves at it absently while it passes. Potter is back with his friends. They're going after the locket. That's nice, Regulus thinks. At least someone knows about the Horcruxes now. He watches as the girl reads the book, the one bound in human skin, the one that gives a reliable and accessible method for Horcrux destruction. She doesn't use it. Silly child. The trio accidentally bring back a Death Eater, so they have to leave Grimald Place, too. It's unfortunate. Regulus can hear them, too. So it must be the locket. He wishes they'd be quieter, honestly. Don't they know he's still grieving? Then, late one cold night, pain strikes through Regulus's head and he's in two places. He can see Sirius's duvet, the one he's sitting on, now covered in dust, he can also see the Weasley boy in front of him, wielding a large sword. 
Why the child needs a sword is beyond him, but Regulus can't focus on that now. He can barely see straight with the stabbing in his head. Instead, he sees the locket splayed open on a rock. The boy raises the blade and brings it crashing down into the locket center. There's a hiss and a scream, and the horcrux cleaves in half. It's done. The talisman tying him to the mortal plane has been destroyed. His business is finished. Regulus feels himself dissolve, bits and pieces of his essence floating into the ether. It feels like relief. Or is it ecstasy? For an existence such as his, maybe the two are the same. Regulus wakes up in an unfamiliar copse of trees. He's not sure where he is, so he stands to check his surroundings. He wanders a few meters toward where the trees thin out and begins to laugh. He's in the park. The one where Sirius used to bring him when they were little. There are the swings he used his accidental magic to fly over the top of, and there's the roundabout where he spun until he couldn't stand up straight. He hears a shout from behind him, and that's all the warning he has before he's nearly tackled to the ground in an aggressive hug from his older brother. Reggie. Sirius squeezes him so tightly he's not sure he can draw breath. All of those living, human things feel more natural here than they did as a ghost. He can smell again too, the scent of cut grass and pine needles from the trees, clover, a metallic tang from the rusted playground equipment. Regulus turns around to face his brother, who is starting to babble. I was so worried when you weren't here, and then James and Lily explained about the horcruxes, and... Sirius pulls him in closely, clutching Regulus to his chest like he did when he was six and Regulus was five and Regulus woke up crying from a bad dream. I'm so sorry, Reg. I should have known. I should have been able to sense you before the very last second. They said you tried so hard to show me. Regulus sniffs, just managing to stave off tears. Merlin, this is embarrassing. This isn't how he wanted any kind of reunion to go. You're very thick, do you know that? Regulus asks, trying and failing to maintain a look of haughty disdain. Everything you needed was out in the library on the first day. The books were open to the right bloody pages, Sirius. Sirius threw back his head and groaned. You're fucking joking. It was all right there. Regulus reaches forward and lightly shoves Sirius's shoulder. Gryffindor idiot. Sirius grins and shoves him back. Slytherin twat. Sirius wraps an arm around Regulus's shoulders and reaches up to ruffle his hair. It's great to have you back, little brother. I missed you. He's not willing to say it, it feels like conceding a battle he just won and it's not in the nature of their relationship. But Regulus is happy to have Sirius back, too, 